Hyrule Field. Zelda couldn't remember ever being this bored. She was stuck in a carriage as it meandered between the rugged hills that marked the border of Elden Province. There was little to do except peer at the passing countryside or watch the rest of her father's entourage. It was no small group. The king rode in a second carriage and two columns of Hyrulean royal guards clustered around the carriage in a protective formation. Added to that were her father's attendants, her own attendants, the men looking after the horse teams and other servants to attend to the party's needs. In her father's estimation, this was only a tiny company. Zelda watched the guards mounted upon their fine steeds as they kept a steady pace beside the carriage. She recognized many of them, for they had been in her father's service for as long as she could remember. She longed to be outside, riding upon one of their majestic steeds. There were few things that Zelda disliked as much as being confined. She longed to be free of the castle and to explore the fascinating hive of activity that was Castletown. It was a foolish thing to hope. Her attendants wouldn't allow it. They already disliked her habit of slipping away from them or anyone else who was watching her. Sometimes Zelda enjoyed playing in the palace grounds or mucking around in the stables. Except for her attendants, most of the castle staff were used to this. Zelda's maids could often be found madly searching for her before dragging her back to her chambers with as much dignity as they could maintain. They would exclaim widely at her dirt-smeared dress and then proclaim that she was expected to behave in a manner appropriate to her station. Zelda's stepmother encouraged her play, but Zelda's father was a different story. He would lecture her about proper etiquette as his daughter and Hyrule's future monarch. As for Impa, Zelda was sure she found this amusing. Sometimes she'd even let Zelda practice swordplay with her young half-brother, Prince Even, under her watchful eye. That was whenever Even wasn't trying to play a game of rescue the princess. He loved plays and these were his favorite kind. They were just something her brother made up. He would play the part of a gallant hero and Zelda would be the damsel in distress. Zelda hated this and she hated even calling her the distressed damsel. The games always ended the same way, even would rescue the princess from the tower, the dragon or whatever other misfortune had befallen her. Really, why couldn't he be the one in distress for once? You seem bored, princess. Startled, Zelda turned to see Impa regarding her from over the top of a book. The Sheikah's red eyes and stern gaze had a tendency to unnerve people, but Zelda wasn't bothered by it. I'm not bored, Zelda countered. Hmm. Impa did not appear convinced. Truly, Zelda, you complained about not getting out of the castle for months. I suggest you enjoy it while you can. This is hardly outside, Zelda pointed out, gesturing at the carriage. No, Impa conceded. I suppose not, but if you need something to do, you can help me with some of these scrolls. She gestured to her satchel and Zelda was sure she could see the barest hint of a wee smile. The scrolls were in Sheikah's script and she did not doubt that they weren't like reading. They were probably writings about herb lore or the origins of the flow of magic. Can I just write for a bit? Silva must be getting lonely, Zelda asked, skirting past Impa's question and earning herself a very faint scold. Silva. Impa's horse was a white mare who was very tolerant of Zelda riding in her saddle. 
Zelda liked the animal, she wasn't as flighty as some of the other horses in Stable Master's Belone's care. Silver has an entire team of stable hands to attend to her needs, Impa said, though her mouth almost twitched in a smile. She will be quite content, I assure you. Can I just ride her for a short while? Zelda looked at Impa with pleading eyes. I won't go far, and nobody in the right mind would attack us with all these guards watching. You know I cannot allow it, Zelda. Impa's tone became surf, and Zelda knew she was testing the Sheikah's patience. Perhaps we can practice your Gerudic, Impa suggested. The Gerudo emissary will arrive soon, and to speak their tongue would be seen as a sign of respect. Can I do it later? She pleaded. I won't forget to attend my lessons this time, I promise. She was meant to be learning Gerudic, but their script and tongue seemed so strange and difficult to master. Very well, I will hold you to that, and if you do not attend to your lessons, there will be consequences. In the meantime, why don't you try sleeping for a bit? Impa suggested in a milder tone. We'll be home before you know it. Zelda was tired. Odd, she hadn't felt tired a few moments ago. She almost cast Impa an accusatory glare. Zelda yawned. <sighs> Fine, she said, grabbing a cushion and trying to make herself comfortable. Maybe I will. Good, Impa said soothingly. I'll wake you when we arrive. For a time, Zelda listened to the rhythmic clop-clop-clop of the horse team that drove the carriage. Her eyelids felt heavy and she felt herself nodding off to sleep. A jolt rocked the carriage as it came to a sudden halt. Zelda was flung from her seat and into the wall opposite. She hit in with a squeal of fright. <sighs> Zelda was in half a mind to yell something at the driver, but Impa wouldn't be pleased if she did. She scrambled back into her seat, puzzled that her nurse had said nothing. To her shock, Impa was no longer there. Zelda had neither heard the door open nor noticed Impa move. Impa was good at slipping away unnoticed. She was a Sheikah. But Zelda was sure she wasn't that good. Confused, Zelda turned to the door and gasped when she saw thick storm clouds rolling in from all directions. They blotted out the sun and cast a shadow across the lands. Soon, darkness cloaked Zelda's surroundings. With a trembling hand, she grabbed the carriage door and pushed it open, quickly stepping out of the carriage. Her feet landed on brown withered grass. Zelda stared. Only minutes ago she had been looking upon a sea of lush green grass. Now it looked dead, and Zelda's confusion mounted as she turned back to the carriage. It was no longer there, and neither was her father's entourage. The attendants, the soldiers, and the servants were all gone. Zelda looked back towards the woods. Thick tendrils of black mist were creeping around the trees, growing thicker as they reached the road. It was some kind of magic, possibly shadow magic, but Zelda wasn't sure. Her tutors had talked to her about the practice of shadow magic, but she'd never heard of anything like this. Thunder growled in the distance, and the strange fog reached her. Instantly, the darkness swallowed her. She could hear voices whispering a strange and guttural tongue. Zelda felt terrified. She turned, hauling herself off the ground and ran. What had seemed like the mere fantasy of child's play was coming to life around her. This time, there was no young prince about to save her. The whispers followed her, and Zelda cried out as her foot struck something. Tumbling, she shrieked as she hit the ground. 
A few moments of frightened panic later, Zelda realized what she tripped over. It was her father's banner with the trifles above the soaring red wings of a phoenix. The fabric was charred and torn. Both the phoenix and the sacred trifles were barely recognizable. A second standard lay nearby, bearing an emblem of a red lion running upon a blue field. It was the banner of House Harkinian, the royal house of Zelda's mother. Zelda corked the acrid scent of smoke upon the air. She could taste it in her mouth too. She called out to Impa, her father, or anyone else to save her. Only the whispers answered. She wouldn't have even complained if Ewan jumped in front of her and laughed, exclaiming that it was just an elaborate trick. Unable to breathe, her lungs burning from the smoke, Zelda collapsed. She had to get out of here. She had almost resigned any hope of aid when the ground rumbled. Bright, radiant light erupted all around her, becoming a beacon in the darkness. The black mist recoiled, fleeing in all directions. As Zelda looked up, her eyes watering, she glimpsed a figure beneath the bright plum of emerald light. As it faded, Zelda saw a boy holding an emerald wrapped in a golden wreath. The boy was oddly attired in a green tunic and a funnel-shaped head. A fairy hovered beside him, and Zelda guessed that this boy was a Kokiri. Impa had read her stories about the Luciferous children when Zelda was younger. She even claimed she'd seen them before, but that was impossible. The Kokiri never let anyone see them, not even Ashika. As the light faded, the storm clouds rapidly dispersed. Zelda hardly noticed this. She was still staring at the boy as he walked towards her. Who are you? She hadn't meant to sound that forceful and almost winced at her tone. Link, the boy replied before introducing the fairy flying beside him. The Great Deco Tree told us to find you. Great Deco Tree? The name sounded familiar, but Zelda wasn't sure why. Then everything was cloaked in darkness. It was as though someone had thrown a blindfold over her eyes. She gasped, stumbling backwards as she brought her hands to her face. She fell and cried out as she plunked into endless darkness. Her stomach dropped and she screamed as she fell deeper and deeper into that void. Then she felt something tugging at her mind, urging her to go back. Go back where? That Paul came again, tugging at her urgently. Abruptly she yielded to it. She awoke to Impa shaking her by the shoulder. The red-eyed woman was staring at her with grave concern. Impa? Zelda said disorientated. Where are we? We're back home, Impa replied. A pallet cough from somewhere beside her caught her attention. A man was holding the carriage door open for her. Zelda ignored him, taking in the familiar surroundings of Hyrule Castle to reassure herself that she was safe. Stealing herself, she tried to shake off the dizzy spell that threatened to make her wretch. You are dreadfully pale, Zelda. Are you feeling ill? Impa asked, looking at the princess worriedly. No, I'm fine, Zelda lied. It was just a nightmare. Impa stepped out of the carriage and Zelda attempted to make her own way out. Her wobbly legs made it difficult to stand, but she didn't want half the castle stuff thinking she was ill. As always happened in a castle of such grandeur, every living thing in several miles would know Zelda wasn't feeling well if she made a fuss. Nothing in her life was ever private. Impa offered her a hand and Zelda accepted. She barely noticed Impa quietly ordering something to fetch her physician while someone else suggested some hot tea and herbs. They, at least, would be quiet knowing they would face Impa's wrath if they weren't. 
Zelda didn't protest as Impa steered her to the palace's scaled front doors. She was still dwelling upon the peculiar dream. One thing she was certain of, it hadn't been an ordinary nightmare. For as long as she could remember, Zelda had experienced strange but simple premonitions before. Yet, whenever she had explained these to her father, he had just dismissed them as simple coincidences. Only Impa seemed to think that she might possess an ability once thought to be unique to the Sheikah. If her dream had been a premonition, it hadn't been a very good one. It hadn't made a lot of sense, except for one thing. Something terrible was about to happen, and that boy, whoever he was, stood at the heart of it all. By midday, after hours of jogging along the winding road, Link's wonder at the open vista of Hyrule Field was wearing off. The path meandered between an endless sea of rocky hills, swathed in golden grass. Sweat trickled down Link's blisteringly hot face, and his limbs ached from exhaustion. He'd lost count of the number of times he'd asked Navi how much further they had to go. Eventually, she tired of his persistent questions and distracted him by teaching him Hylian. Navi tried simple phrases, and then introductions, but she didn't get further than that. In the end, attempting to say, My name is Link, and I am a Kokiri, in Hylian, somehow turned into, My name is Link, and I am a pumpkin. You're lying, Link protested when Navi corrected him. I didn't say that. You did. Navi's chagrin quickly dissolved into a fit of laughter. It was a wonder she managed to keep herself aloft and not fall out of the air. Oh dear, <laughs> she gasped. The look on your face, I... She struggled to form words through her laughter. That <coughs> just... Try not to say that in front of Zelda. Yeah, Link muttered dryly, not sharing her amusement. I'm sure she'd be really impressed. Navi quieted down, her mirth quickly fading as she remembered just how far they had to go. Castletown was a long way, and it would take at least three days to get there. That's what Navi estimated. Panting for breath, Link paused to take a gulp from his water skin. Lonlon isn't much further, Navi assured him. There should be somewhere we can stay there. I'm not sure what to do about rupees. We will need some. Where can we get rupees? Link asked her, not even sure what rupees were. Navi laughed. We can't just get some. Hylians use them in exchange for goods or some kind of service. You get them by working, you know, like Mido gets the others to do. Link fell quiet at the mention of Mido's name. No doubt the boy had woken up by now, and Link wondered just what he was doing, aside from nursing a headache. I'm sorry, Navi said, noticing his crestfallen demeanor. I shouldn't have brought that up. It's okay, Link said with a sigh. They kept walking in silence. After another hour of this, Link spotted a single lone tree close to the roadside. Its thick, broad canopy offered ample shade. Eager for a quick respite, Link trotted over and sank down against its trunk. The shade seemed wonderfully cool, and he shut his eyes for a second, letting the cool wind brush against him. Unfortunately, Navi was determined to make sure they did something productive, such as planning ahead. I've been thinking, Navi started as Link stared at her out of one eye. 
wishing she'd give him a second to rest. She didn't. The Great Deku Tree never mentioned how we were going to see Princess Zelda, Navi pondered. I have seen Hyrule Castle before. It's well protected, not to mention enormous. Half listening, Link withdrew his water skin, taking a few more gulps of water. There are guards everywhere, Navi went on. We won't be able to just walk up to the front door and ask for her, especially if you call yourself a pumpkin again. Link choked, spraying a mouthful of water over himself. He almost drenched Navi, too, but she darted away with a squeak. That might have amused Link if he hadn't been so busy coughing and spluttering. Thanks, Navi, he gasped when he could finally speak. Are you okay? she asked. Still spluttering and wiping his now runny nose on his sleeve, Link nodded. What were you saying? he asked at last. The princess, we need to get an audience with her. Somehow, Navi reminded him. What if I tell the guards we're on an urgent quest to save Hyrule? Link asked, one hand still clasped to his throat. I could show them the stone. Navi's chuckle irritated him. I don't think that would work, she said. Why not? Navi sighed and smacked a hand against her forehead. This wasn't the response Link had been expecting. He frowned, which didn't escape Navi's notice. I keep forgetting how much you don't know, she explained. Link felt a stab of hurt at this. It wasn't his fault he didn't understand. The anger must have shown on his face because Navi hastily added, They would probably think the stone was a nicely made replica. Besides, you're a child. So? Another frustrated sigh. The Hylians aren't about to take the word of a ten-year-old boy seriously, Navi said with poorly disguised annoyance. That's probably why the Great Deku Tree did not tell us to go straight to the king. How do we get to Zelda, then? Navi looked thoughtful as she zipped in front of him. Maybe, she said at last, we can take a look around when we get there. Hyrule Castle is ancient. The kings that ruled during Hyrule's wars were bound to have some way of getting out of the castle. You know, in case something happened to it. Maybe we could find a hidden tunnel? How are we going to find a hidden tunnel? Link felt a rising sense of exasperation. If I fly into the castle, I can locate the tunnel and guide you to it, Navi said. It might take a little while, but we'll find a way. Link did not like this idea. Why would someone build a secret tunnel and then not keep it under a tight guard? Just then, something large and heavy landed in the branches of their tree with a loud crunch, showering both fairy and boy in leaves and twigs. The source of the disturbance was an enormous eagle owl. It was busily peering at them with keen interest and was far bigger than any bird Link had ever seen. It was bigger than he was! It kept staring. He wondered if it was just curious or if it was contemplating Kokiri for lunch. One hand settled on his bag, ready to draw his slingshot. He looked at Navi, who to his surprise was not alarmed. In fact, she was scowling at the owl in clear annoyance. Capra, Navi said, not sounding very happy to see the animal. Nice to see you. Nice was not a word Link would have used to describe Navi's frosty tone. It's Capra Gabora, the owl replied in Kokiri. Link gasped. 
Navi, it can talk! He exclaimed. For a moment, he envisaged that he had somehow come to possess Saria's gift. Surely you have heard of me? The owl asked, tilting its head and scrutinizing him. Um, no, I haven't. Link said blankly, shifting his feet as the owl continued its unflinching stare. Capera knew the great Deku tree, Navi quickly explained. Yes, indeed I did. It was he who asked me to keep an eye out for you, Capera said as he tilted his head the other way. Now you have started on your journey and that must mean what I fear has come to pass. The great Deku tree is dead. Link's voice caught in his throat as a wave of sadness swept over him. He nodded mutely. The owl made a feeble hoot. No wonder the Lost Woods were so quiet this morning, Capera said sadly. The fate of the woods, and indeed the fate of the world, seems undecided. No man can perceive the turning of time's wheel, nor the threads it weaves. What? Link hadn't understood a word of that. All he knew was that it sounded foreboding. Ah, uh, I do not expect you to understand the intricacies of time, but you will someday, and I dare say that day is coming sooner than you think. Kapora, can you stop confusing him? Navi asked irritably. What are you even doing here? I came because I know you have the emerald. I can sense its power even now. Keep it close. Capra said, for those who seek it will not be far. Do you know if the other stones the great Deku Tree mentioned are safe? Navi asked. They are safe, but it is only a matter of time before the Desert Man claims them. Only the watchful eyes of the Sheikah has stopped him so far. The who? Link asked. Was anybody going to explain anything to him? He felt slightly left out of the conversation. I will explain later, Navi said, her voice not unkind. I'm always delighted to talk with you, Capera, but we're in a hurry. There was a clear note of dismissal in Navi's voice. Very well. If you hurry, you will make it to the hamlet of Lonlon before dusk. Capera turned his head around until it was upside down. Link watched the bizarre movement, and then the owl turned his head the right way up. I will return to see if you have made it safely. I won't approach the town if I can help it. Some of the farmers don't take kindly to large birds flying over their herds. With that, Capra stretched his wings and took flight, causing another shower of twigs and leaves to rain down on Link's head. The owl hooted, flying off toward the distant horizon. Soon, he was little more than faint speck fading into the distant sky. At Navi's insistence, they get moving. Link quickly wolfed down some food from his bag, and then returned to the road. As the sun dipped low in the western sky, Link gasped for breath, exhaustion dragging at his limbs once again. The hill he was climbing was not making him feel any better, but when he got to the top, his first glimpse of Castletown swept all thoughts of fatigue aside. The city itself was nestled within the nook of a valley, a twisting river yawning widely as it approached the metropolis, threading along the city's western side, and then off into the distant hills. The warm glow of the setting sun cast the city awash in light, further adding to the splendor of Hyrule's sprawling capital. Look, said Navi, pointing to a structure at the center of the city.
That's Hyrule Castle. The majestic keep's tall towers stretched into the sky like enormous stone trees, tiny flags rippling from their spires. All Link could do for a time was gawk. So enraptured by the magnificent city, he gave no heed to his surroundings. How am I going to find Zelda in that? He asked, looking from the palace to the city. How was he even going to get into the palace in the first place? Navi didn't answer him. Another sight caught his attention. Not far away, the path they'd been traveling along for most of their journey reached a crossroad. One road led directly to the city, a second road off to the east, and a third wide trail wove its way beyond the village and into the west. A wall of gray stone wreathed its way around the nearby town. About halfway between Link and the snug little settlement, a car was rolling along the road. Is that Lon Lon? Link asked, hoping it was. His feet were sore, as was the rest of him. How he longed for a hot meal and a good night's sleep. The very thought made his stomach growl. Something made him frown. Navi still didn't answer him. Link glanced around, but to his surprise, she was no longer beside him. Navi? He asked, bewildered. He looked up. Navi hovered high above him, her attention fixed on the nearby hills behind them. Before Link could call out to her, she quickly returned to his side, making a hurried shushing motion. What are you? Link started to speak. Then he saw the look of fear on Navi's face. Before he could ask what the matter was, a bone-chilling howl pierced the air. A second call answered it, and then a third. Wolves? He thought. Link, listen carefully. Navi said. Her urgent and frightened tone unsettled him even more than the howling. We are being followed, she continued. I counted at least three Wolfos and two Bulblins. Wolfos? Link asked uncertainly. They do not regard Kokiri as a pack, Navi said, her voice hushed. They're not like other wolves. Just do as I say and run, okay? His mouth dry, heart suddenly pounding. Link nodded again and tried to swallow. Three shapes were moving in the long grass by the road, close enough that they would catch his scent if the wind changed direction. That was, if they didn't already have his scent. A few feet behind the wolfos, two taller creatures prowled through the tall grass. They picked up the pace as the wolfos howled again, the wind carrying their excited chatter. They were hunting for him. He could see Navi was desperately thinking of a plan. Her eyes darted this way and that, and she zipped around his head anxiously, keeping low enough to avoid attracting attention. He must know we're here, she said. Quickly, run towards the town! Link broke into a mad run towards Lon Lon. Legs pumping, he ran as fast as he could. The cart trundling along the road ahead of him was too far away to be of any help. Besides, Calling out to whomever was driving it would only endanger their lives too. Link sprinted through the grass, jumping over rocks and nearly stumbling as he ran. Behind them, the three wolfos started barking in a mad frenzy. They found us! Navi shouted, RUN! Link didn't need telling twice. 
Navi hid in his pocket, still hoping to avoid giving him away. Link sprinted as fast as his legs could carry him, dashing towards the safety of the town, but it never seemed to get any closer. Behind him, a wolfos panted as it tore through the grass. They were getting close. Bushes rustled and cracked as the three hounds trampled through them. Link drew his sword and grabbed his shield. The wolfos were right behind him, their growls rising to a hellish crescendo. Navi peered out his pocket and saw something. Link! She screamed. Link whirled around. A wolfos burst through the grass in a terrifying blur of teeth and fur. It jumped towards his chest, barking as it crashed into him with one frightful bound of its powerful limbs. Link rolled, mercifully keeping hold of his sword and shield. The wolfo's hot breath washed over him, and Link thrust his shield up just in time to avoid those sharp teeth sinking into his flesh. The beast snarled, barking and scratching at the wooden shield, tearing strips of wood from its surface. Link, hang on! He heard Navi scream. I can get help! Link swung his sword wildly. The wolfos tried to bite the blade and sliced open its jaw. Blood splattered Link's face. The cursed hound shook its wounded muzzle. Finally, it jumped off of him, allowing Link to spring awkwardly back onto his feet. Seeing his prey unharmed, the wolfos curled its lips in a frightful snarl and charged. Link stepped to the side, and just as the wolfos landed, he thrust his sword as hard as he could into the hound's neck. The wolfos yelped pitifully and collapsed onto its side, crashing into Link as it did so. The sudden impact sent Link toppling over. Quickly, he got back to his feet and yanked his sword free from the dead animal. Link's relief at killing one of the hounds died in an instant as he spotted the other two hounds flanking him. Both of them charged, and Link whirled his blade. The fading light glinted upon its surface. He felt resistance as the sword connected with the animal's face, cutting across its muzzle. The wolfos yelped, shrinking back into the deepening shadows as Link went to strike again. He never got the chance. The third wolfos came from the right, slamming into him, crushing the air from his lungs as he hit the earth. Then... There was a sudden tight pressure on his right arm, squeezing tight enough to crush bone. Pain followed a heartbeat later, and Link realized the wolfos had him in its jaws. Link screamed, trying to wrench his arm free, squirming and kicking as he did so. The beast's fangs tore through flesh and muscle, hot blood splashing onto its muzzle. Link felt something against his free hand, and he realized it was the pommel of his sword. Link quickly snatched up his fallen sword and drove it into the mutt that still griped his arm, punching the blade through the beast's skull. The animal released him, stumbling into the grass. Just one more. The final wolfos howled at seeing its companion fall, and anger flared like fire in its eyes. It curled its lips back in a feral snarl and circled him. Link got to his feet, blood now dripping down his face and even into his mouth. The wolfos prowled around him once more. Link tried to clasp his fingers around the hilt of his sword, but his arm felt leaden and useless. The wolfos pounced, dodging Link's sluggish attack, one paw slamming into Link's face. 
the claws tearing bloody strips from his face, barely missing his eye. Link tried to kick, but then the hound clamped its teeth into his leg. Link screamed as the beast shook its head vigorously, its teeth ripping through muscle, sinew, and bone. Before he knew what was happening, Link found himself being dragged across the ground. Distantly, someone called out. Link felt a faint shimmer of relief as the Wolfos withdrew. He gazed down at his leg to see the wound the Wolfos had inflicted. What he saw nearly made him faint. His leg, mangled and bloody, resembled a macerated meat bone with entire chunks of flesh ripped away. He was sure that not even Saria could mend a wound like that. His head swam, making the world around him sway and dance. He wanted to move, but his limbs were wooden, and he was too tired. At least the pain wasn't quite so bad now. He was just thirsty. Thirsty and tired. Vaguely, Link realized the two Bulblins that had been chasing him were approaching. Their similarity to a person ended with their hideous green skin, potato-shaped heads, and their bulbous nose. One of them looked at him and said in harsh-sounding Kokiri, The stone! Give stone! Link opened his mouth a crack and a tired groan escaped his lips. He barely understood what they were saying. What stone? The Bulblin gave Link a sharp kick in the side. He moaned weakly. The stone! The Bulblin growled again. He had no idea why it wanted a rock. His mind was clouded and spent beyond any ability to think. Whatever it was, he wouldn't tell them. Navi would be back soon. Navi! He rasped weakly in a futile attempt to call for help. Where was she? The other Bulblin pointed at him and said something with a shake of its head. Its companion grunted in reply and knelt beside Link. It patted his pockets and then ran its hands across his belt. It found his bag and rummaged through it before taking out an emerald stone. Something inside of Link clicked and he realized what he was seeing. The emerald! All he could do was watch helplessly as the two beasts snatched the Kokiri Emerald from him. Apparently satisfied with its quarry, the Bulblin chortled and walked off. The distant sound of more shouts and running feet made the beast look back towards the village. Its eyes widened and, with a quick word to its companion, it took off at a run. The final Wolfos glared hungrily at Link's motionless form. Flecks of blood painted its muzzle and for a horrible moment, Link was sure it was going to kill him. It paused, regarding him for an instant. Then, with an angry growl, the monster bolted after its masters. Cold. Link shivered. Why was it so cold? A chill crept into him, gnawing at his bones. He gazed up at the somber twilight sky, Wishing he was home. Wishing Saria was with him. She'd been by his side when he'd been ill. And when he'd fainted after his encounter with the Goma Queen. Her comforting presence had always assured him he was safe. That everything would be alright. 
Link! Link opened his eyes, not aware of having closed them. A small ball of light flew over him and froze as it reached his face. Navi's face was etched with horror as she took in the extent of his injuries. Oh, Link! Please! His eyes felt so heavy, and he could barely hear her. Stay awake! I've got help! Navi, Link whispered feebly. The Bulblins. It took all his strength to speak. They have the emerald. They took it. What? The emerald! Navi looked towards the fleeing Bulblins before spinning back around to face him. Hang in there, Link. I'll be back in a moment. She flew off without another word. Link tried to call out to her. Come back. Black lines threaded their way across his vision. Somewhere, Link heard the loud screech of an owl. Its wings beat the air somewhere ahead, but he never saw it. His thoughts turned to his home, and one of the last things the great Deku Tree had told him. Years ago, one Kokiri did leave, but he was unprepared for what he faced. Though I sent the forest guardians to retrieve him, they arrived too late to save him. I failed. He had not been prepared, even with Forenza's training. I'm sorry. The face of a red-haired girl came into view. She looked aghast at the sight of Link's bloody and battered body, but she hesitated only a moment before calling over her shoulder. Another figure, a man over twice Link's height, came into view. He lifted Link into his strong embrace, and the boy moaned feebly. The man shouted something over his shoulder, but Link could not make out the words. So tired. He closed his eyes. Darkness rushed to claim him, enshrouding him in its cold embrace. <laughs>